This is episode number 574 of the Inner Fight Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the show, a show that is sponsored by Smith Street Paleo. Do hop over to smithstreetpaleo.com. Check out all of the paleo goodness over there. If you've tried everything else, then this might be the key. Paleo food, nice and simple, unprocessed. Go and check out exactly what those guys do or drop them an email. Hello at smithstreetpaleo.com. Welcome back to another edition of the show. This one I absolutely loved. Gentleman by the name of Alan Stein Jr., all the way from the States. He joined me on Skype as we spoke for about 40-odd minutes about self-awareness, winning habits, and living in the moment. It's awesome because Alan did most of the talking. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what he has to say. Welcome back to the show. And as I said there, folks, all the way from the US, I have Alan on the line. Alan, thank you very much for taking the time out to be with us. Welcome to the show. Oh, Absolutely. My pleasure. It's great to connect with you, Marcus. Great stuff, mate. I think as, as we were sort of saying there before we started recording, some of the stuff that you really do a lot of work in is a massive topic that's, that's really you know, huge for us here as well and, and for the show is all about self-awareness. So let's kick off a little bit there. What is self-awareness? I'm a big believer that the the most important tool we have in our toolbox is self-awareness. And, and self-awareness is really the cornerstone of emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is vital for any uh, – I mean really any human being walking the earth, but certainly anyone that is, that is working directly with, for, and around other people uh, organizationally. And uh, self-awareness – I look at self-awareness on three different levels. Um, on the most basic level – you simply have an understanding of who you are, of, of what things you like, what things you don't like, what things you're good at, what things are challenging for you, you know, what your dreams and your hopes are, but at the same time having the courage to look at your fears and your insecurity. So really just having an audit of yourself uh, is the first level. Uh, but then the second level, uh, which – and this one is vital, is making sure that that self-audit is in alignment with the way that the rest of the world sees you. And this is what's interesting because in order to have true self-awareness, you do actually have to step out of outside of yourself and ask others. Uh, and you need to, to have an environment that you've created where you can ask those closest to you if the way that you're perceiving yourself is the way that they're seeing you. And um, a perfect example would be, you know, if, if I asked you, Marcus, if you were a good listener and you said, yes, I'm a great listener, but then I ask the four or five people that know you the best in this world, and they all say, oh, no, Mark, Marcus is an awful listener. Yeah. Well, that would mean there's a disconnect between the way you see yourself and the way the rest of the world perceives you. And I, I could say that that would mean you'd have a lack of awareness. Uh, as funny as it sounds, if I asked you if you were a good listener and you said, no, Alan, that's actually one of my challenges that I'm trying to get better on. And then I asked the people closest to you and they said, yeah, he's not a very good listener. That would actually mean you have very high self-awareness yeah. because you, you would be aware of the fact that that's something you need to work on and they would confirm that. Um, and then the, the last level uh, of self-awareness, and this is one what we're all trying to get to, um, and, and, I, and let me say this too. Self-awareness is not something that can be mastered. Uh, it's something that we can, we can and should continually be looking to improve. Uh, there'll be times in our life where we ebb and flow. There'll be times in our life where we have more awareness than others. Um, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that 
Uh, overall, I'm much more of an aware human being today than I was a year ago. And I have full confidence that if you and I were to chat a year from now, mm. I'll be even better then. So this is this is all about the the process, not necessarily an outcome. But the final level of self-awareness is being able to have full control over your emotions, to be able to understand why you're feeling a certain way, to be able to dig deep and figure out the root cause of why you're feeling that way, and then most importantly, be able to manage that emotion in a way that's productive. So uh, let's just say um, you and I work together and you report to me and I, I have you working on this report and you turn it in and it's very substandard. Uh, I'm, I'm irritated, I'm disappointed, I'm frustrated, I've got this cocktail of emotions, in this case most of which are, are rather negative. So the first thing I need to do is, is establish that and say, okay, take a deep breath, I understand that I'm upset with Marcus right now, but then I really need to dig deep and figure out why. You know, and, and that's not always what's right on the surface. Uh, yes, you turned in a substandard report, but is there anything more to that? You know, it, it, is this conjuring up feelings that, that you're being defiant and that's something from my past that, that's really kind of an irritant to me? So maybe it's not even about the report. It's the fact that I told you to do something and you didn't do it to my standard. And because that's been an issue of mine in the past, now I'm really frustrated with you, you know, and this is through no fault of your own. This is stuff that I'm dragging in from the past, but I have to be aware of that. And then the last level would be being able to say, okay, I'm frustrated with Marcus. Here's why I'm frustrated. But what, what is a way that I can communicate my frustration to him that we're going to get a win, that we're yeah. both going to move forward, that, that we're, you know, so a perfect example would be, I call you into my office, I start screaming and yelling and cursing at you and telling you that this report <laughs> is awful and you know, well, that's what most people would default to because that's what's easy. Yeah. But my guess is that's probably not what's best for our relationship and that's certainly not gonna be much of a motivator for you to do better work in the future. Yeah, right. So that's when I would have to have full control over my emotions and be able to communicate that in a way and say, look Marcus, uh, I'm disappointed with what you turned in. Uh, but I am going to own some of the responsibility to that because maybe I wasn't clear in my expectations or maybe I didn't offer you the support that you needed. But we need to resolve this, um, you know, and then and then kind of work from there. And hopefully that I'm delivering this in a way that really resonates with you so that when you leave the office, you're thinking, darn, I wish I would have done a better job. But now I know exactly what I need to do and I'm going to do a great job. And I really appreciate Alan's honesty when he told me that. Yeah. And if I can do all of that stuff. That's blending self-awareness with having a high emotional IQ, and that's how we move forward in life and actually make progress. Amazing, mate. Very, very nice kickoff. We're five minutes in and so much good information already. If we dial it back a little bit, mate, is, is there a – do you think there's and, – and this is obviously an opinion. Do you think we're in, 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 in a – state of the world at the moment where people have a lot of self-awareness or do you think it's low and if so is it is it limiting people what's the what's your general thought of people's understanding of what you've just been talking about for the last five minutes well, well let me preface this with the fact that that i'm an incredibly positive person i'm a very optimistic person and i absolutely believe in the good in human beings i yep. believe that most of the people walking the earth are good human beings but with that said, uh, and I, I don't want this to be cynical, <laughs> I think the vast majority of people have very low self-awareness. Yeah. And I think that's for a variety of reasons. Uh, one, um, 
I know having done the internal work myself, you know, I, I was, I got divorced, very amicably divorced five years ago. And part of that process was going in through therapy. And when I was going in for some counseling, that's what really opened the door to all of this stuff. And I started doing the work on myself and I know how hard that is. You know, I know how hard it is to peel back the covers and stare your fears and your insecurities and your weaknesses in the face and not try to ignore them, but to actually lean into them so that you can, you can move forward. So part of it is, I think, People just don't want to do the dirty work because yeah. it makes them really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I also believe and, and would love your take on this. I know here in the States, emotional intelligence simply isn't taught. You yeah. know, you have some great teachers and coaches that model it. But, you know, I have three children that are in elementary school age. Uh, I have two, twin nine-year-old sons and a seven-year-old daughter. And this is not something that's taught at school. Yeah. You know, there's not a, there's not a class on managing emotions or there's not a <laughs> class on self-awareness. And there really should be. I mean, yeah. we could make a pretty legitimate argument that these are the most important skills that someone needs to have. And that's not and I'm, I'm not by saying, you know, I'm not saying math is not important and science sure. is not important. It's all important. But at the end of the day, your ability to know yourself and to connect with and, and manage your emotions with others is really important. And, yeah. you know, I, I believe in language. Um, part of my problem is you know, that emotional intelligence and self-awareness are called soft skills. Yep. And I've never liked that name because I, I think <laughs> it undermines what they are. Yeah. You know, for me personally, when I hear the word soft, I, I equate that to being weak. Yeah. And there's nothing weak about having a high emotional intelligence or high self-awareness. There's nothing weak about being in touch with your feelings. Although many times uh, here in the States, that's that's not considered to be masculine. Yeah. That if a young man is in touch with his feelings and is is able to express them, that that means he's weak. And nothing is further from the truth. The toughest people I have ever met in my life have very high self awareness and very high emotional intelligence. Yeah. And the other reason I don't like soft skills or the name soft skills, I also think it implies that it's easy. Yeah. You know, because they call soft skills and hard skills. Well, that must mean hard <laughs> skills are hard to develop and soft skills are easy. Once again, you have they have those things backwards. Developing emotional intelligence and developing self-awareness is some of the hardest work that you'll ever do. Yeah. You know, by comparison, it's easy to teach someone how to do a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet or it's, it's easy to teach them how to manage QuickBooks. It is not easy to teach them uh, how to have the interpersonal skills to get the best out of everybody else. So yeah. to me, that's part of the issue. But the thing that I love is that self-awareness and emotional intelligence has been a hot topic for the last several years and will continue to be for the next several years. You know, there's been tons of books written on it. You know, people like Dr. Brene Brown and Simon Sinek and, and some of these Goliaths in the, the development space are bringing it up and talking about it. So back to my optimism and positivity, I do think it will continue to get better. Yeah. And then it's also something that's generational. I mean, I uh, I teach this to my children all the time, and because they're young, I don't I don't use words like emotional intelligence, but I I, I use all of the different portions of it when I model for them and I teach them, and I certainly you know hold them accountable. And perfect example would be if my my two sons who are twin boys and they get along most of the time, but like most siblings, <laughs> they fight sometimes. Yeah. And you know, my my son came in the room the other day, and my son Luke, and he said, man. He was really upset, and he said, Jack is making me angry. And I said, buddy, I, I can appreciate that you're angry right now, and I too can attest that your brother can sometimes be annoying, but he's not making you anything. You're choosing to be angry right now, and you have every right to choose that response, 
but I don't want you to blame that on anybody else. You control your emotions and if you want to choose anger as a response, you're welcome to do that as long as you express that in an appropriate way. So, you know, punching your brother is not an appropriate way to express that. If you need some time to go sit in your room by yourself to cool off, that is fine. Or you can choose another response. Instead of being angry, you can just kind of laugh and roll your eyes and say, there goes my brother again doing what he always does and choose a different emotion. So uh, things like that happen all of the time. So I'm hoping that my three children grow up and have higher emotional intelligence earlier in life than I ever did. Yeah, it's, um, it's very interesting that what you said there, I want to pick up on two things. The first thing is, is we sort of choose how we react and that is massively based on our emotional intelligence our, and, and, and really our self-awareness as well. And it's funny in, 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 in small children, but I think it, it, it's also the same in adults, isn't it? Because we react in certain situations and we're like, oh, so-and-so really pissed me off today or something. Or, you know, we blame something. I mean, our, our business is obviously health and fitness and performance related. And we're, we're happy to blame yep. something. You know, yeah, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't follow my diet today because it was such and such's birthday and I had to have cake. Well, you didn't actually have to have cake, but you chose to have that cake, you know, and where everything's a choice. You also mentioned someone there who I was actually going to, when, when we're on this topic, obviously it's on Netflix, but Brene Brown's talk about vulnerability. And that really, I think, really comes in to this topic of self-awareness. And she talks, I mean, it's a great talk. You've, you've probably seen it on, on Netflix, Alan. It's a I have, four, four, Twi- twice. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, loved it. What, what, and, and, and you mentioned a couple of things there which I think resonate with people about, maybe about males and, if, you know, we don't want to just speak to males on the show but also to females about, you know, it's not really been talked about but people like, as you said, Brene Brown, Simon Sinek are really talking about it. What's your advice? Like there's, there's so many self-help books out there. There's emotional intelligent books. You know, you go to the self-help section of any bookstore these days or even if you're online it's huge what should people be looking at all these guys or how can we educate ourselves and make up this lost time from these people that are essentially we see them as gurus in the best possible way because what what i'm finding is that people are reading like constantly reading and reading and reading and reading and not able to action anything so what's your what's your thoughts on that and you know this this whole topic of vulnerability oh man well for the record you are a great listener uh so we can go back on that (laughs) example that i used before uh because man you hit it on the head and, and boy that's a lot of insightful comments you just mentioned there to unpack um a few things one i do believe you know i love professional development i love the fact that people want to devour books and podcasts like this, and they're always looking for new information because I'm very similar in the same way. Uh, and, and I've heard the, you know, I've heard people use this analogy where they say, you know, I'm trying to add tools to my toolbox. And I love that mindset, but I, I also want to make sure people know that you don't want to just add tools to your toolbox for the sake of having more tools. Cause then yeah. all you're doing is carrying <laughs> around a heavier toolbox. Let's make sure we're using the ones that we have, which is yeah. what you just said so brilliantly. So instead of always being on the search for a new hammer, use the hammer that you have. It'll probably mm. be sufficient. So, um, while I do want people to keep exposing themselves to this, these types of things and watching things like, you know, uh, Brene Brown's uh, Netflix special and Simon Sinek just came out with a brand new book that I look forward to reading. We just need to make sure that we're also doing this stuff and not just reading or talking about it. So that's yeah. 
that's a big part of it. Um, as far as what you mentioned with her in particular, uh, that's another one where I believe over the last 20 or 30 years, vulnerability, even the word itself, has been looked at by many as a weakness that yeah. you shouldn't show people your soft side or what's wrong. Or, and, and I disagree with that. I mean, I, I remember vividly being as a kid and coaches saying stuff like, you know, stop crying, you know, suck it up. Yeah. Uh, even in this in this one, now that I have sons and a daughter, you know, they equate that to something feminine. They'll say, you know, why are you crying like a little girl? They'll say that to a boy. And it's just uh, it's just completely inappropriate because everyone should be in touch with their emotional feelings and they are, they're allowed to have whatever reaction or response they want. Now, over sure. time, they'll realize that some responses and reactions will move you forward in life and some will take you backwards. And there are consequences to whatever it is that you choose. But I would never, ever say that to my children. Anytime they, they'd cry, and of course they're younger, so they cry every once in a while. Sure. You know, I want them to be able to express why they're crying and express in their words how they're feeling. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. So I think that's a huge one. And then the I'm doing these in reverse order. That's Something okay. you brought up is, is, <laughs> is so perfect in – not just in high performance in life, but as you mentioned, in health and wellness and fitness. And that is the ability to eliminate making excuses, uh, blaming other people, um, you know, deflecting responsibility from yourself. Uh, if we can get rid of those types of things, you know, blaming others and making excuses and complaining. I mean, complaining yeah. is one of the biggest ones. Yeah. You know, I, I loved your analogy of, well, I had to eat birthday cake because it was so-and-so's birthday. And it's, no, you didn't have to. You chose to. And yeah. you're you're absolutely welcome to choose that. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with choosing to have birthday cake, but you have to own it. Yeah. And you have to realize that if that set, if you're training for a, a fitness competition, then you have to be willing to pay the consequences of what eating that cake would be. And, you know, if in your mind, uh, celebrating a special occasion with a loved one and eating something delicious is more important than you training for that fitness competition, then that's okay. Yeah. Then that's a good decision and you should make it guilt-free. Yeah. But don't try to play both sides. Don't feel like someone else made you do that. And you know, I know for me, uh, as a human being, I'm, I'm fallible, so it's not like I'm perfect. Mm. But over the last few years, I have drastically reduced all complaining, uh, making excuses, um, blaming other people when things don't go well, really any, and, and all three of those are under the umbrella of deflecting, yeah. you know, um, perfect example. We go back to that, uh, uh, example that I used about you turning in, um, a, a subpar report. Yeah. Human default would be, you would make an excuse on why it wasn't very good. You would probably blame someone else on why it wasn't very good. And then the moment you left my office, you would more than likely complain to other people, uh, that I don't like you or this isn't fair. And, and I, I don't say that about you. I say that because that's the natural default mode for most humans. And yeah. if we can reset that, whereas we don't do those things, it's very empowering. And not only does it help improve performance, but I found in my own life, it helps improve happiness and fulfillment. When you yeah. take accountability for everything, everything you say, everything you do, it's really, really powerful. And now I'm thankful that because I'm not immune to those things, I do have the awareness that if I find myself complaining about something, I catch it pretty quick. Yeah. I kind of chuckle to myself and I go, all right, Alan, uh, this is getting you nowhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, let's yeah. let's do something about it. Because if we use complaining, uh, if we look at complaining, if you're complaining about something, you have the power to change, then stop complaining and just change it. Yeah. And if you're complaining <laughs> about something you don't have the power to change, 
then you're just wasting your breath. What's the point? It's not yeah. going to change because you don't have any control over it. So there's really not a logical or legitimate argument on, on complaining other than it's something most people have been wired to do since their children and they get a little bit of temporary satisfaction by thinking, well, this isn't my fault if I blame someone else or make an excuse. <laughs> um, and, and that just won't, that won't get you very far in any area of life. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, you've, to you've totally sold everyone. Everyone's in. Everyone that was listening that was a little bit skeptical about this vulnerability, self-awareness and everything, before they listened to this first 20 minutes of this amazing show, they're sold. What people now want to know, and this is my next question, is, and, and I like what you said there, you know, when you went through your divorce, you went through some kind of counseling, so you sort of were, you know, you had to go through this. How do we improve self-awareness? How do we, if we like, improve our ability to be vulnerable, if that's really what, what the goal is here? What's, what's some of the techniques that you can share with people? If someone says, yeah, I agree, everything's resonating, I need more self-awareness, I'm ready to work on it right now, and I want to finish listening to this show, and I want to have... Alan's top three tips on how we improve self-awareness. What would they be? Well, uh, the beautiful part is if, if anyone ever said that, what you just said verbatim or is thinking that, they've already taken the biggest step, which is an openness and yeah. an acknowledgement that they, they need to improve, to acknowledge that they have some blind spots that they can't see and that things need to get better. And I don't, I don't want to diminish how important that first step is because yeah. without the attitude of what you just said – None of the rest of it's impossible. So first is, is that openness and willingness, which in sport we would always call being coachable. Uh, the best players that I've ever been around in the world were always open to coaching because they knew that other people had some nuggets of wisdom that would allow them to get better. Right. So once you have that openness, uh, now you need to have uh, an actual plan in place. You know, on a couple levels, one um, – if you have insulated yourself with an inner circle of really good people, people that love you, that care about you, that want to see you happy, people that you trust, you know, people that you know have a high emotional intelligence, you need to go to them and say, look, this is an area of my life that I really want to improve. I know that I can't do this by myself. I need your help. I want your help. Um, here's what I need. You know, I need you to help um, reaffirm the things that you believe are strengths and the things that I do pretty well. Mm. But I also want you to have the honesty to care enough about me to tell me the things that you think are limiting my performance or limiting my happiness. What are the areas of growth that you think if I can improve those, uh, my performance will start to skyrocket. And this could be like we said, it could be listening, you know, and the reason I bring that one up is that was a huge one for me. Right. Um, I was not a very good listener prior to therapy. I was, I was more of a scorekeeper. I was more of I'm, – I'm a very competitive person, so I was always trying to prove to other people that I was right. I looked at many conversations as a win-lose. Like in order for me to be right, that means Marcus has to be wrong. And I wasn't just actively and openly listening to what other people had to say. And um, I had enough people that cared about me to tell me that, which I very much appreciated. And was able to do some work to improve that. So that's one area. Um, I'm also a believer that, you know, here in the States, there's kind of a stigma with going in for counseling or therapy that it's, that's something you go to do once you've hit rock bottom or yeah. once you've had a major problem, you know, a, a divorce or, or, or a problem with drinking or drugs. And that's not the way it should be. It should be mm. all of us should consider going in and getting professional help um, sure. in those regards ahead of time so that you can sidestep some of the landmines that you won't need to step on. So um, if 
if you don't feel that anyone in your inner circle or that inner circle concept is going to be enough for you and you have the time and the, the financial means to do it, I would recommend meeting with a professional, even if yeah. it was only once a month, but someone that could give you the tools that you will use to see yourself start to improve. And yeah. then the last thing I'll say is just realize that all of this is a process. I mentioned earlier that no one ever arrives at, you know, you'll never be a 100 with emotional intelligence. You'll never be 100% self-aware. So don't worry so much where you are. Focus more on where you're going. Yeah. Uh, the trajectory at which you're going is way more important than where you are at the moment. And, and I would even say the same is true with health and fitness. Yeah. You know, if, if you look in the mirror right now and you don't like the way you look and you don't like the way you feel, don't beat yourself up over it. Yeah. Just know that tomorrow you have the potential to look and feel just a tiny bit better than you do today. And as long as that ramp is always going up, uh, your progress is way more important than where you are at the moment. So be aware of these things, be open, and then always give yourself some grace and compassion when you do mess up um, because you will mess up. There'll be days where you know uh, you do complain or blame someone or make an excuse. Uh, there'll be times where uh, somebody says something and it, it triggers you and you have a knee-jerk reaction and a few seconds later you're going, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Um, those are going to happen. So give yourself some grace and compassion. Don't beat yourself up learn from those mistakes and then do the best you can not to repeat them. So, you know, everyone is going to have moments of weakness. Everyone's going to do or say some things that, that they wish they hadn't just be able to be open enough to learn from them. And if, if you're willing to do this and know that very similar to health and fitness, self-awareness is an emotional intelligence is a daily journey. Yeah. You know, that, that's why they're so analogous. If, if you get in great shape and you claim to the world, you put your flag in the ground and you say, look at everyone, I'm in great shape. And then you stop working out and stop eating well, well, you're not going to be in great shape anymore. Those, those things are not permanent. And yeah. same thing with awareness. If I announce to the world today that I'm very self-aware, well, then I'm actually not. So yeah. Yeah. I think if you can kind of put those things in place, you'll slowly start to see yourself get better and better. And I know for me, the, the best gift it gives you is clarity. Yeah. You know, I look back on certain things in my life now and, and with crystal clear clarity, I can see why they happened. I can see what I could have done differently. Now when similar things happen now, instead of being numb or blind to it, I'm completely in tune and going, oh yeah, I, I can see that why that happened and here's how I'm going to respond differently this time. Amazing. Mate, amazing. I, I just want to, before we sort of close this out and move on to another topic I want to talk about, one thing you said is there's, there's a big stigma about seeking help and seeking, like actually see, seeking professional help. And I think, I want to just, echo what you said there is that you know if it, it's the same and if, if we come back to health and fitness you know if you if you want to get a little bit better at something if you want to get better at golf you go and see the golf professional if you want to get a little bit in better shape you might go and see a, a fitness trainer or a personal trainer or go to a certain fitness class that's a form of counseling as well so if you're having a problem with self-awareness and maybe what we traditionally call or old school way a bit of soul searching you might just need someone yeah. professional pay them a little bit of money it's not a bad thing there shouldn't be this negative stigma around it and like you said very well Alan, it, it could just be someone that you check in once a month with or maybe you see once a month for three months you never see them again but they help you to start this thought process and give you a framework you can read every single book on the planet but the counselor in person might just make something really click that you can start this 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 process and become more self-aware and more successful in life. 
Absolutely. And uh, if we go back to terminology, if the terminology of counselor or therapist um, has a very deep-rooted negative connotation to you, just flip it around. Consider them a coach. Consider them a mentor. I mean, they may be someone that is trained in, in psychology or psychiatry so that, I mean, they're they're the best at what they're going to be able to help you with. So this is not about going and seeking someone that doesn't have the credentials to do it. But you just said that so perfectly. If you want to get better at golf, you hire a golf coach. If you want to get in great shape, you hire a fitness trainer. If you want to get your mind right and improve self-awareness and your your mental skills, then you need to hire someone that does that. And I know from my own experience um, – the best part about going in for therapy, and it was really challenging. I mean, you know, yeah, several sure. years later now, <laughs> uh, I can say it very a matter of fact. But when I look back, uh, the lady that I that I worked with, she never told me what to do or how to feel. All she did was just ask questions after question, and then it was up to me to figure something out. And she right. would do an expert job of guiding me through that. So, you know. Uh, I'm talking to her and, and I'm telling her about how upset I am at you because you turned in a bad report yeah. and she would be the one to guide me down the path of figuring out why that's so upsetting, uh, what triggered from my past might have caused that. Um, and then, But then she would say, okay, so so how are you going to approach Marcus about this? And then maybe I would share something and say, well, I tell you what, this is the third time he's done this, so I'm bringing him in on Monday and I'm going to rip him a new one. And she would say, <laughs> you know, do you, give that some thought, take a breath. Do you really think that that's going to be the best response? Can you explain to me why you think that would be the best response? Yeah. And then obviously as I'm unpacking it, would realize that would not be the best response. But I love the fact that you know, she always made me do the work. Every yeah. decision I made had to come from me. And I made some good ones and I made some poor ones. Sure. But at least then the next session I would come in and we could unpack that and I could say, you know, I couldn't I couldn't blame her. That the poor decisions I made were one hundred percent my decision and I owned that. And I knew that when I left her office and I knew it when I came back. So I think yeah. you're right on. So if people need to just simply call it something different uh, because that makes them feel better. You know, I've seen in sport now uh, mental skills coaches yeah. are, at, are on a huge rise. You know, yeah. 10, 15 years ago, it was the strength coach or the performance coach that everyone coveted. Now that's just a given. You have yeah. to have that if you want to perform at a high level. Now everyone is bringing on mental skills coaches to tie everything together. Yeah, absolutely, mate. It's 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 crazy, and that's such a nice segue into the next bit because you are you're huge on what you call winning habits. And I think this sort of, as I said, I think it rolls really well in once you maybe got all that self-awareness taken care of, which there's so much value in what you've been talking about, Alan. It's absolutely awesome. We move into this winning habits. What, what, is, what are winning habits? Well, by definition, a habit is something you do unconsciously and you do consistently. Right. So it's something you do, you know, you don't have to think about it, at least not once it's a habit. Now, when we're creating habits, you do have to put some conscious thought into creating it, but we do it all the time and we do it without thinking. And uh, I saw a, 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 a Duke University study that said 42% of everything we do during our waking hours is habitual. So that means almost half of everything we do from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed is on autopilot and is on cruise control. Uh, so first and foremost, that shows us how important it is to make sure we have positive habits. If half of everything we do uh, is a habit, then we need to make sure that those things are filling our bucket as much as possible. And then, of yeah. course, that means the other half are things that we're making conscious decisions on. And you know, for me, as I'm getting older, and I'll be 44 in January, um, 
life is becoming simpler to me. And the reason it's becoming simpler is I'm able to block out a lot of the noise and a lot of the distractions. And for me, I run almost every single decision in my life, the big ones all the way down to what am I going to eat for lunch through this filter. Is this going to take me closer to being the man I want to be or is this going to take me further away? Nice. And now it's up to me to define the man I want to be. And the man I want to be is is someone that's physically, mentally and emotionally fit. You know, someone with a high emotional intelligence, someone that has a great connection with his children, uh, someone that loves the work he does and takes pride in doing work at, at a very, very high level and, and serving with excellence is someone that's a, a bucket filler and pours into other people. So I have this loose vision of the man that I want to be. And then I have to ask myself, all right, is doing this thing right now, is that going to take me a little closer to being that guy yeah. or is it going to take me further away? You know, and, and people, uh, they laugh even when I say like, what am I going to eat for lunch? But you know, if I want to be mentally, physically and emotionally fit, then I got to make sure that I'm feeding my body healthy food. For so sure. I need to make conscious decisions, but it also goes back to the example earlier. I don't choose to be perfect with that. You know, if, if you were in the States from Dubai and you said, Hey, take me to the greatest pizza place you have here, you and I would go out and we'd have some pizza and we'd have a good bonding experience. And, and yeah, that's not the healthiest food that I could be eating, but I would make the conscious decision that in that time, that would be worth it for me because it would be important to you and I would want to show you a good time and I would be able to eat that completely guilt-free. Yeah. And then probably for the rest of the week, I would be more in tune with eating healthier. Uh, yeah, same right. thing. If my kids are acting up and I start yelling and screaming at them, do I really want to be the guy that yells and screams at his kids? Mm. No, that's not the guy I want to be. So then don't behave that way. Because your your behaviors and your beliefs have to be in alignment. Uh, if they're not, then you need to change one of them. So I can't believe that I want to be this guy and then have all of these habits that are contradictory to being him. So I can't tell you on this show and all of your listeners, I want to be physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. And then I hang up and I go eat junk food and I go, <laughs> uh, I skip my workout and I go and yell at my kids. Yeah. Like then I'm working in the opposite direction and back to the original concept of habits. One of the biggest things about habits is the environment that you're in. Mm. You know, if, if you surround yourself intentionally with people that put a high value on physical fitness and wellness, it will make it easier for you to do the same thing. You know, if the five people I'm closest with choose to work out most days of the week and choose to eat healthier foods, it'll make it easier for me to do those things. Yeah. And that's one of the problems is you've got five or six friends who aren't into health and fitness. You decide that you want to be, and now you're swimming upstream because every time you're going to work out, they give you a hard time. Or yeah. every time you order salmon instead of ordering a, a, you know, a piece of cake, they roll their eyes at you. Now it's making it harder for you to make the right decision. So um, James, James Clear is the author of Atomic Habits, and it is absolutely the best book ever written on habits. And he said something very profound that I've really adopted. Uh, he said you need to surround yourself with people that what they do normally – is what it is that you're trying to do. Yeah, so if right. I want to try to work out more, I need to hang around with people that just work out because that's just what they do. Like mm. they don't even think about it. That's part of their 42% um, of, of unconscious habits. So mm. we all have to be very deliberate in creating an environment that allows us to move to, towards the person that we want to be. Yeah, I think, mate, very, very true. You've picked up, you picked, you've mentioned kids a couple of times, and I want to link this a little bit because obviously we've got people that have kids that listen to the show. 
And what, what I'm generally seeing, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit negative on this one, but I'm seeing kids these days rewarded for things that are mediocre. People, like we get more participation medals, we get certificates for things that maybe you or I are at a similar age. When we're at school, we, we wouldn't get. Do you think that the way that we're educating children now and bringing them up for the most part in, in those environments that we can't really control like schools unless we move schools do you think there's a problem that's that's now feeding through because we've seen it through this sort of millennial generation do you think we're creating a problem that maybe people aren't having these habits and then they're having to sort of learn them later on or any thoughts on that Oh boy, we could do a, a whole series of episodes <laughs> just on this. I, I, I love it. that you teed this up, and with and having children, this one is definitely near and dear to my heart. Good. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is an issue. Uh, yeah. Yes, it is getting worse in many regards. Um, and, and remember, I mean, go back. Someone needs to rewind and listen. I am a positive, optimistic guy yeah. that believes good in human beings. You know, I, this is not cynical. This is not judgmental. This is no. just what I've been able to observe. And what you've brought up is kind of the dichotomy between earning something and being entitled to it. Yeah. And um, I, I try with my own children to make sure that they earn everything, earn every grade in school, nice. earn every spot on a team. Uh, if they want a new you know, game on their iPad, that they've earned the right to have that. They had yeah. to earn the right to have an iPad in the first place. Um, yeah, I'm not a big uh, participant you know, trophy person or everybody yep. gets a trophy. But I think the most important part, and this is the part that I find slightly disappointing, is that adults are kind of blaming this on the kids. And adults sit up there in their high horse and say, you know, kids today are so entitled. Mm. Well, who do you think entitled them? Yeah. <laughs> the adult the adults entitled them. Kids yeah, kids didn't do that. The adults were the ones that said, you know what, that kid's going to be sad that he didn't give a trophy, so let's everyone get a trophy. Yeah. And now you've got a generation of kids that expect those things, and it's not their fault. So yeah. I have huge empathy for children. And when I meet a kid that is entitled, that, yeah. that does feel like he deserves whatever – you know, I, I try to treat them with compassion because it's not their fault. It is the adult's fault. And you know, for me – um, because this is something that's important to me, I use my social platforms to speak about it because I think that's how we influence change. But I know what's most important is that I'm planting that seed with my three children. You know, yeah. it's, it's not up to me to tell other people how to parent their kids. I would never do that. Uh, and I don't even think along the lines of good, bad, right or wrong. Like, uh, I mean, if, if, if you have children, Marcus, and you want them to get a trophy, that's fine. That's on you. That's a parenting yeah. decision for you. Um, so I, I wouldn't judge that and yeah, I wouldn't sure. tell you you're wrong. You're, you're doing what you believe is best for your kids. But for me personally, I do not think that's best. I want my kids to, to feel like they need to earn everything. Yeah. And that type of mindset will carry them much further. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a freelancer, but I'm, I have kind of an entrepreneurial mindset and, and I very much teach my kids the entrepreneurial mindset, even if they don't want to be entrepreneurs, even if they want to work a conventional job. The entrepreneur mindset is you look for problems that need to be solved and you find ways to solve them and you mm -hmm. serve other people and you're always trying to give to others and and I want my kids to have that mindset. And entrepreneurs know firsthand you have to earn everything. Yeah, you earn absolutely. every single customer, you know, you don't take any of it for granted. 
So yeah, it's it's fascinating that you brought that up, and <laughs> and, and I'm actually working on a project now that that will be released in in early 2020 um, that I'm hoping is very helpful to youth sports parents, wow. uh, parents that have their children playing sports. Um, I'm hoping to provide some some guidance on the best ways to do that so that sport can be an incredible experience. And uh, cool. I, I'm also a huge believer that you lose through winning. I mean, excuse me, you learn through winning and you learn through losing. Yep. And I want my kids to experience both. You know, yeah, um, cool. obviously, I never want to see my children hurt or upset. But I know that them getting cut from a soccer team when they're nine is not going to be the end of the world. And that if they learn from it, that could actually be one of the best things that yep. ever happens to them. Yeah. So I don't I don't soften it by saying, you know, oh, don't worry, that coach is an idiot. You should have been picked. And I certainly don't go berate the coach and say, you have no idea what you're doing. My son is way better than that kid over there. And that's what a lot of parents do. Yeah. Instead, I say, hey, I know that you're disappointed. You're allowed to be disappointed. Um, you know, when you feel ready to talk about this, I'm here to talk about it. I would love to hear your evaluation. Do you really think you deserve to be on the team? And if so, why? Mm. Uh, or do you realize that maybe you're not as good or didn't put in the work that deserved to be on the team? Mm. And then most importantly, no matter what your response, what are you going to do moving forward? Um, mm. it, it, are you going to say, well, I soccer's not for me. I'm going to quit and do something else. You have the right to do that. Just yep. know that that's your decision and you have to own that. Yeah. Or are you going to use this as a motivator and say, I'm going to I'm going to talk to the coach and get a list of the drills that I need to work on. And I'm going to work on them for an entire year so that next year I have a much better chance of making the team. Yeah. Uh, I just want them to own that and know that, you know, that 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 getting cut from that team will sting now. But you can use that in a way that will move you forward. Exactly. And if we use the latter scenario where. Uh, he chooses to practice, and then the next year he makes the team. Mm. Oh my gosh, that would probably be one of the most elated feelings he could feel at that young age. Way, way better than the feeling of just giving him an empty trophy and yeah. saying, "Oh, you did fine." Yeah, I think it's 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 very interesting because as you're sort of talking through that example, I'm thinking about a lot of the. I, I love to read the sport biographies, and I'm thinking about a lot of the books I've read and. I think there's more times in those books or examples that those sportsmen and women have used in those books where having been cut from a team or having lost a big game in the final has made them do what you were just talking about there, go back and, and, and train a little bit different and made them ultimately successful rather than they never really talk about the, the, the medals that they won that maybe were just, like you said, they're empty medals. So I think there's a lot of, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of learning there and it's, it's through a lot of professional sportsmen. So you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I hope the most important part of what I just said from a parental standpoint is the fact that I just simply try to facilitate my kids making their own decisions. Nice. Uh, it's a, I, I try not to say this through a lens of judgment. I say it simply as observation. I find that a lot of parents make a lot of decisions for their kids. So it'll be the parent that says, mm. you know what, forget soccer. Let's quit because that coach is an idiot. Yeah. But maybe the kid really loves soccer. Mm. Or they say, you know what, forget that. You're going to train. I'm going to hire you a trainer. I'm going to hire you a coach. Uh, and you're going to do everything I tell you to do for the next year because you're going to make it. And maybe the kid doesn't even like soccer. Maybe the only reason he tried out was to try to, you know, make the, the, the impress the parent. Mm. So I want my kids to, to make decisions and then live by those decisions. And it's funny. It's a little bit of an inside joke with my three kids because 
I gave a commencement address at a high school graduation a couple of years ago. And really at the end of it, I boiled it down and said, you know, if you want to have a good life, just start making good decisions. You know, (laughs) if you want to have a great life, then make make great decisions. And at the risk of sounding condescending, I sure hope you know that if you continually make poor decisions, you're going to have a really tough life. So I I say to my kids all the time, you know, hey, just make good decisions, make good choices. And um, when you when you make good choices, double down on those and keep making them. When you make poor choices, own it, learn from it, try not to repeat it and just keep on trucking. Yeah, very cool. Alan, you've shared some absolute gold with us and I don't want to waste or take up all of your all of your time so i want to try and wrap this up and the way that i normally do that is to ask a final final question which is quite simply if you could give if you could wrap up everything you've learned in your nearing 44 years of life into a single piece of advice the best piece of advice that you've learned or you feel you could offer up what would that piece of advice be Wow, I love the question. I love the depth. Um, the, the difficulty, the difficulties in narrowing it down. I mean, you know, the stuff we've ta- the stuff we've talked about in reverse order. You know, uh, making good decisions. You know, being open to being vulnerable and and working on emotional intelligence, working on self awareness, uh, learning how to move past the mistake. I mean, all of that stuff is incredibly important. But since I've already talked about that, so hopefully your listeners know, I already place high value on that or I wouldn't have said it. Uh, I would say the most important thing is learning how to live in the present moment and do your best not to be distracted by the things that happened yesterday. Do your best not to get anxious about the things that may or may not happen tomorrow, but really focus on and enjoy the present moment. And um, when you can do that, I found through personal experience, your performance will go up but your happiness will go up as well. And, and, and just so folks know, this is not ignoring the past. We have to learn from the past, especially the mistakes we've made. And this is not about ignoring the future. We have to prepare for tomorrow, but it's not getting caught up in either one of those. It's putting most of our energy and focus into the right now, into what's happening now. Uh, that's one of my favorite uh, acronyms, W-I-N, WIN. What's important now? Wow. And if you can keep your focus on what's important now, perfect example, Talking with you and your listeners right now is the most important thing to me at this moment. So it is getting all of my attention. Uh, I'm not folding laundry or checking email. I'm 100% (laughs) in my office. All screens are off. I'm dialed into you because this is what's most important. Uh Now, as soon as we hang up and we say goodbye, then I'll immediately move to the next most important thing at that time. And then that will get my full attention. And uh, if we can move through life like that, like I said, you'll be happier and you'll certainly be more fulfilled but you'll also see your performance skyrocket. Alan, absolutely legendary. I really appreciate the last 45 minutes of, you said it, your full focus. I'm going to send people over to your website. I'm going to link that up. Do you want to share with us your social media handles? We'll put those in in the show notes as well. Sure. So if anyone's interested in in kind of the the speaking and stuff that I do and – they can go to allensteinjr.com. If they're interested in my book, which is called Raise Your Game, which is really a summary of everything that you and I just talked about, they can go to raiseyourgamebook.com. And I'm at allensteinjr on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, pretty easy to find and love engaging with folks. Uh, so if anyone listening to this, uh, if something struck a chord and you want to keep the conversation going, uh, by all means, please hit me up because it'd be my pleasure. I will link to all of those things that Alan just mentioned there, folks. I'll put those 
all in the show notes. So it's super easy. Hop over to the show notes on whatever platform you're listening on or over on innerfight.com and you can get all of that. Alan, thank you so much, mate. Absolutely awesome. I, I really actually can't wait to listen back to this show. We'd, we're just finishing it, but I'm going to listen back to it probably within the next 24 hours because so much value and, and, and so much interesting stuff. So thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. You were phenomenal in leading the conversation, and uh, I look forward to sharing it with my audience and turning you know uh, your amazing work and amazing show on to all of the folks that follow me. Awesome. Alan, have a fantastic day. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you.